This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by TechSmith Snagit 2021. Find out more about this awesome tool you must add to your learning design toolbox at snagit.com. That's S-N-A-G-I-T dot com. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Darren Nearlin and Aaron Petershik about the making of Learnapalooza. Hi, Darren. Hi, Aaron. Yo, what's up? That's really fun that your names rhyme. Anyways, uh, thanks for being on the podcast today. Uh, would you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you give us a quick intro about you and maybe even how we met? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Darren Nerland. I've been in the learning and development industry for close to 30 years now, and uh, mostly in enterprise uh, environments, Fortune 500 companies, that sort of thing. And and I've always really, you know, uh, I've been energized by the idea that people, you know, learn through the use of technology. And, and so, um, so we met, uh, Betty, you and I met in person at DevLearn earlier uh, in 2020. We had met online, I think, before and exchanged emails, but met in person and had just a great conversation. I remember sitting outside with you and and, and talking with you and sat for probably an hour and talking with, and chatting with you about just, just geeking out on everything learning. So mm-hmm. that's how you mm-hmm. and I met. That was ATDTK, though. Hold on. Oh, yeah, you're was, right. That was, was, that was ATD Technos. It was ATDTK. No, that's okay. And you gave me socks, degreed socks. That was amazing. I did. I still have I them. I like them. Okay, Erin, you're up. I feel like I get some credit here because I was like, make sure you meet Betty in person. I've been stalking her online and I don't get to go to these big events. So, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I get a little bit of matchmaker credit there. You do indeed. All right. Tell us about you. Well, uh, I have a fraction of Darren's uh, learning experience in in corporate environments. I'm your quintessential accidental L&D professional. I started out in electoral politics and found myself uh, moving into adult education in my overseas living and teaching experience and was pretty into this whole L&D adult ed world. So I came back to the States uh to the Seattle area where I'm originally from and met Darren kindly over LinkedIn because he is very generous like that and started uh, volunteering for the local chapter of ATD. And that's how we kind of met and and started collaborating. But um, more recently, I am a learning experience designer for the Boeing company. And I feel like I'm pretty legit now and have arrived. You are absolutely legit and have arrived, especially because you've now met me. And how did we meet? Um, I think online. I think I was cyber stalking you because I don't get to go to all those big events, like I said. And, y- yeah. you know, like LinkedIn's really good about sort of finally fig- <laughs> helping you figure out like, hey, there are these really amazing people in the L&D space. And um, I want to say it might have been that. And then I just started checking you out. And then I was like, Darren, uh look at this woman who is a mover and shaker and she seems a lot like us. And you reminded me of my own irreverent tone. So of course I appreciated what? that. You think I'm irreverent? <laughs> what? You're, you're sexy in a good way. I received that. Yeah. By the way, Betty, I, you kind of burst onto the scene late, kind of mid last year, late last year. I remember 
after her and said, hey, check her out. And then I started seeing you like on LinkedIn. And then I saw you on ATD Puget Sound's newsletter. And like, uh-huh. who's this ass Betty? Who's this, who's this chick, right? So yeah. so it, for me, it was really exciting to, to meet you and to talk with you and to, and, and to think about, you know, how we could uh, bring you into our conference. But yeah, I, I, you know, to Aaron's point is, you know, it's all about community and, and connecting. So I think Aaron and I yeah. do a pretty good job of connecting to the right people. I think you guys do too. And I'm so glad that we are all connected. By the way, Aaron, it's, um, I call it research. So, cause stalking tends to have this <laughs> negative connotation to it. I call it research. So I appreciate that you are a fellow researcher. I am indeed. Great, great reframe. Yes, I like it. Okay, so today we're chatting about the making of Lernapalooza. Uh, I'm super excited about this because I know that Lernapalooza has a really interesting history, and I think it's one that people need to know about. Um, so I want to start there. So tell us about how it all began. Sort of start with start with the why, right? When there's when there's plenty of great L and D conferences out there, professional development events. Why did you decide to start your own thing? What what was the what was what was the thing? You know, having worked in the industry for a long time, I, I, I've been fortunate to speak at most of the major conferences just because people tend to invite you when you're working at the Gates Foundation or Microsoft or Amazon. So you get you get those invites. And so when I go to these conferences, number one, I saw the same old thing. I saw the same old people, the same old kind of, uh, you know, dog and pony show. And I'm like, yeah, there's not there's not very much innovation going on. Now, this was this is, you know, five or six years ago. So. Um, I think things have improved, but still, I was like, ah, there's just not not, you know, not enough uh, innovation, I didn't think, uh, especially util- utilizing technology or utilizing people as well. Number two was um, uh, I just felt like there wasn't much going on in the Pacific Northwest. So we started the conference here in Seattle and said, hey, how do we help people with, you know, with, the, with this great community here in Seattle? How do we get people to a regional conference and, and help them grow? Um, and then three, um, it really was, you know, how do we disrupt things? How do we how do we look at conferences and say, okay, not only is it, it are you seeing the same people? I think it's like we're doing the exact same thing over and over again too, which is you're sitting and it's lecture. And so all three of those, I'm like, we got to throw that out the window. We got to do something much much better. And so that's when I approached Aaron when she was uh, with ATD and said, hey, you know, would you be willing to partner with me on on an event and and I'll, I'll do the hosting duties here at the Gates Foundation, but let's just let's just turn let's turn this whole conference thing on its head and do it radically different. So we threw everything we knew about conferences out the window, um, you know, from from you know what we read, from the conferences we both have been to, both regional and big ones, and said, let's just let's just do it differently. What would we want to do? And so that's that's what we've done every year is we've just said, hey, what's what's new, what's interesting, what's disruptive, let's do that. And when did this start? Like what year did you guys start? Mm, 2014. 2014. So this was the sixth year of Learnapalooza, right? Is that right? I don't have a calculator. Okay. Okay, good. So the sixth year of Learnapalooza, your conference is focused on innovation and disruption, which are two terms that we hear thrown around a lot, especially innovation. I worry about that word because I think it's going to get worn out. People are going to forget what it means. What does that really mean? to the both of you. And we'll start with Aaron this time. So, um, you know, innovation, disruption, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for Learnapalooza? No, I like that you asked this question. And I'd like to say that I do spend quite a bit of time kind of thinking about this because words do have power and are important to me. 
I think in the sense of the event that we've created, it's less about pursuing things like the shiny new tools or tech or gadgets, and it's more about how do we innovate and disrupt from within. And and I know that sounds kind of highfalutin ph- philosophical, but let me let me see if I can tease it out a little bit. So if you look at disruption, typically it's not necessarily the, you know, the invention of something new. It's, you know, the tech is not the panacea. It's applying an existing technology and and taking an existing technology and maybe applying a different business model, right? Like we've seen Mm -hmm. with everything from Uber and Lyft and Airbnb to just even some cool things out there in the world where, um, you know, using cellular device technology to do things like um, banking or solar power, or even in the developing world, they're doing things like, um, you know, sonograms. And and Mm -hmm. so, you know, sometimes it's the tech, sometimes it's the way the tech is applied. And I think we can, we can, constantly be exploring what we could do differently for ourselves in a similar way. So for me, it's questioning my own mental models and questioning like how I think of myself as a professional and never getting like never getting complacent and always kind of staying hungry for, you know, what is what is the next best version of me look like? And what is the next best version of what I can offer the world and my learners and my community of fellow professionals or even the wider community because I'm I'm pretty dialed into that too. So I think that that's kind of like a, a, a vibe or a value of, of what Darren and I have tried to co-create where we invite people to, you know, practice some self-reflection, start small with themselves. Uh, certainly we've had great opportunities to put cool new technology, like what you do, Betty, where you're just like, hey, how can you use XR in like low cost, no cost ways? Like that's mm-hmm. disruptive, but also just getting people to think they can do that, right? Like how mm-hmm. how many times have you probably specifically heard feedback where, oh my gosh, like I thought this was out of my out of my reach. And all of a sudden I'm thinking about what's, you know, the art of the possible for my learners, for my company, for myself. But it's almost like, oh, isn't that cool to see like the light bulbs go off and the, the oh, I can dream a little bit bigger and I can think about my craft or what I, what I can offer my end users in the form of, you know, my company's learners and employees a little bit differently because I got exposed to content at Learnerpalooza because I got exposed to the people at Learnerpalooza. And that's one of the things that sort of drew me to Learnerpalooza for the first time a couple of years back is because, you know, I'm forever telling people we've got to think differently. We have to think differently about our the way we de- design learning solutions because people do not learn the way that corporate learning thinks they learn. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. learn on their mobile devices. People learn in social chat rooms. Can they learn something in a classroom? They can, but it's not as effective. It's not as interesting. It's not as engaging. And so we, as, as they would be if, if they're on their mobile device. So we always have to think differently. And that's one of the things that I really feel like Learnerpalooza just oozes is, hey, you got to think differently about things. And so I very much appreciate that. It's very refreshing. Definitely set you guys apart. Thanks. And Dee, would you, what would you add to that innovation and disruption question that Betty asked? Because I think it's important to hear your perspective as well. You know, I think you covered, especially the innovation part of it pretty well, right? Which is, you know, it, 
people think innovation means starting from scratch. And that's the, that's the biggest challenge, I think, with innovation and why you know, it gets thrown around and people go, oh, well, you have to create something and, and then develop it and implement it. Um, you know, it's a new product or, or you know, and the thing is, is, it could be a product or a process or a service, but it could also just be aiming at improving efficiency, effectiveness, or maybe it's a competitive advantage. So mm-hmm. for me, I think that innovation piece, I think that's the problem is that people are like, oh, yeah, you're innovative because you created something you know, brand new, a new product. And, and really, again, I think people can be innovative within their own teams, within their own mm-hmm. organization. The disruption part for me is I think the, um, the, the part that I like the, the most about our conference and, and why Aaron and I and, and uh, our volunteer um, team that helps us go through the request for proposals, we're always saying, well, what's disruptive about what they're doing? Was there pain involved in this? Was there, you know, were they doing something that others, others weren't doing? Were they seeing five years down the road and saying, hey, we got to do this today in order to minimize, you know, um, you know, the the effects that's going to happen, you know, you know, you know, in tomorrow in tomorrow's world. So those are the kinds of things that I think are really interesting when we when we bring those people in that we feel are innovative, are disrupting. Those are the kinds of things that, you know, we look for when we're bringing people into the conference. And I know you're going to ask us, you know, a little bit about our pivot to virtual. And that's where we had to disrupt ourselves. And I'll share more about you know, how that disruption happened uh, for ourselves uh, in, I think, the next couple of minutes. Let's dig into the disruption a little bit more because I didn't talk on that. I spent quite a bit of the last couple of years really trying to dig into design thinking. You know, what's the sexy, hot buzz around it? It's been around for a long time. We're borrowing it from the creative industry. What does it really mean? One of the things that I um, really love about some of the content I've been exposed to is what we're trying to disrupt is our own neurobiology. Our brains, not for ill, but just through evolution, are hardwired to deal in flight or fight mode. The default is to the status quo. It is easier, it is safe, it is known, and literally you're up against your own brain when you're trying to quote unquote disrupt yourself. So how do you hold space for that? One of the ways you can do it and again, this is just something that I feel like I've really seen in practice at Lernapalooza, but certainly other spaces as well. Design thinkers have been doing a good job of this for, for decades, is you invite in those who are on the outside. And when Darren was saying things like, you know, it's kind of the same people on the conference junket, then that is an echo chamber, right? That is the status quo. These people are amazing. They are dialed into the industry. They get to see, you know, see and do things and scan the horizon in a way that maybe I don't get to from my corner of the world. But what spaces can we create to get that totally like new to L&D person or that person who just isn't a big name person? Maybe they are also a historically marginalized you know, population member, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing increasingly with like the efforts to bring in more black, indigenous people of color, you know, trans, queer, whatever, L&D people, because their perspective is not the mainstream. It is not the status quo. And they're also awesome professionals, which is exactly what we should be focusing on. You want to do something to 
to disrupt yourself, you have to go out and find other voices and people who are not the usual people sitting in those rooms at those events. And I really think that Darren took that challenge and he ran with it and he was kind enough to let me play with him. And that's what I've seen at Palooza time and time and again. And now we're getting to see a nice mix of sort of the more established professionals or people with a little more, you know, a little more brand recognition right alongside folks who literally are shaking in their boots. They're like, oh my God, this is the first time I've ever, I've, I've ever done this. And we're like, awesome. We got your back. We will support you. Go do it. And then they like grow and get new jobs from it. I think yeah. that's pretty flipping cool. I would agree with the flipping cool comment for sure. Let's talk about this year's event. So you definitely had to pivot what was that like? How, uh, you know, how did you react to the whole COVID thing? What, like, like what, what did you, what happened? Well, we first said, oh mm-hmm. crap, what do, we, what, do we, what do we do? So, so keep in mind, we start this six months out, right? So December of last year, January of 2020, we're, we're signing up sponsors. Um, we're starting to, to um, get the word out there. We're going to um, get requests for proposals for speakers, you know, because we were going to do the in-person conference in June. Right up until about mid-March, you know, that was our plan. Mid-March comes and COVID is hit and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep an eye on it. So we said, well, let's move it to September. I think it was March, April. We said, we'll move it to September. We're still going to have an in-person. We still had, we had a venue. We had everything planned out. We had a website with all of the information, all the speakers and stuff. And then of course, COVID got worse. And so, you know, for us, we said, well, we had two choices. One was to cancel it and just say, okay, this is not our bag. We don't we don't do virtual stuff. Of course, then Aaron and I, as we would talk on on a weekly basis, we said, well, we can do this. We can we can pivot to virtual. We can do yeah. this differently because we're being forced to do it. And this is kind of that disruption part. One of the disruptive things I think you know we should be doing in our industry is becoming more about marketing. We should be marketers of our of our learning. And I had said that, you know, five or six years ago and, and I and I now start to see people do it. I've said this about virtual learning. I said we gotta we gotta learn to utilize the technology better because you know more and more people are going to be remote working. Now it just so happens I, I was thinking five years from now, but you know this year forced most companies to relook at you know how people are going to work so that switch to virtual was something that companies are doing we just decided well you know what we're going to jump in with both feet and figure out how we can do this with a virtual conference i think it's also important to note that if you say that you're about the community then that is the one thing that still is true right you have to take a step back and go okay what's still true what still holds from what we thought we were going to do and now what Mm -hmm. we're talking about maybe doing. And if you're about the community, then there's almost a responsibility to keep showing up and to embrace the disrupt and and the suck and the yuck of like, oh shit, what are we going to do now? Um, So if you're really about the community, which we say that we are, then we got to show up for the community in whatever way we can we can manage and so that was a big push on us to to stick with our why like why do you do this for the community we're going to still we're going to do something we don't know what it looks like but if we don't walk our talk in this space then we have no business being here i like how you think I love that you pivoted and here's why, because I think that it opened up an opportunity for you guys to do so much more and have such a bigger impact. I know you had some people from all over the world, not just Seattle. Can you tell us like like some of the farthest reaches that you had? 
I do know, you know, like in the United States, we were talking to people, and of course, Aaron and I see the see the, um, the attendees from the uh, on the backside of of the of the virtual platform. So we knew that we were having people coming in from Boston and San Diego and San Francisco. We had Detroit, obviously, and mm-hmm. and uh, so great representation across the United States. Um, we did have a couple people that I know of from the UK. Uh, we actually had a facilitator um, from New Zealand who was in the Ask the Expert session. There was a couple there. Um, Aaron, I don't know. Dubai, Switzerland, Dubai, oh, right. Japan. So, yeah, they were kind of coming out of the woodwork. So that's the silver lining with the whole COVID thing is that you were able to open up to a, a wider audience. So here's my question then is how has that impacted you as far as do you still feel like you're meeting the mission and the goal that you had, even if you are expanding? Or does that strengthen your mission and your goal? Well, I think it's important. You have to match the market. And the market, because, you know, COVID and everything, is vastly different than it was even a few months ago. And mm-hmm. so right now, the market is demanding inclusiveness and and connection in a way that people are just like clamoring for and being able to span i mean it goes back to that why right like if we really are about the community then to run headlong into embracing a global community is just more of us doing exactly what we said we set out to do even if we just didn't we didn't know we were going to be doing it this soon and sure i I really think like the cadence is crazy fast right now like you know, companies are historically looking at quarterly profit and losses reports. Now they're looking at a monthly. We're kind of doing the same thing in L&D. What do people need today? What do people need this week? Mm -hmm. What do people need this month? Because we are all constantly learning right now, whether we realize it or not. That's why we're all exhausted because learning is Mm -hmm. hard and it takes a lot of brain power and energy plus juggling all the other stuff that we're doing. So it's so aligned with what we thought we were going to do. It's just you can't predict how it's going to unfold. Where does this year's attendance rank in the six years? This year was the best we've had. We started off small with, I think our first Learner Plus was 125 people. Uh, This year we had over 325 registered, which is great. Aaron and I have intentionally said, we don't want this to be a big conference Mm -hmm. where it's run by sponsors. We know that there's innovators and disruptors in all of the areas of of talent, HR and learning and development. So there are some people that are invited to speak or or that fill out an RFP. We're going, wow, that's really great. We always tell people, especially our sponsors, is don't sell. You can't sell at Learnapalooza. That's not the point. You know, uh, if you get picked Mm -hmm. for a session, it's it's about what it is you you know you brought to the table. It's not about your product or your service. It's what it is that you you know you want to speak on. And and everybody has been really great over the years at at uh, uh, at understanding that is because we are trying to be community driven. Hey there, I gotta pause the show for just a minute to talk a little more about Snagit 2021 from TechSmith. I have been a Snagit user for over 10 years, and it is hands down my favorite screen capture and screen recording tool on the market. Snagit lets you quickly capture a process, add your explanation, and then create visual instructions. Snagit 2021 is the must-have visual communication tool. And even more great news for you, just for being an If You Ask Betty listener, you can get 10% off Snagit with maintenance at snagit.com by using the promo code ASKBETTY. 
Just enter Ask Betty at checkout and snag this great deal. See what I did there? Check it out at snagit.com today. All right, back to the show. One thing I definitely noticed about Learner Palooza this year is it is sponsored or put on by or tagged in some way with Skills Leap. So tell us more about that. Tell us more about what Skills Leap is. And then I, my understanding, Darren, is that you are obsessed with the idea of skills. And so I'd love to hear more about that as well. I am obsessed with, with skills and, and for, for a couple of reasons. One is the company I currently work for, Degreed. Um, you know, we, we are a learning experience platform company. And one of the things that we started doing differently this year was mapping skills to roles and mapping skills to opportunities and then evaluating those skills. Now, that being said, I, I, I have been, you know, a big proponent of, of skills versus competencies for a long time. I think skills is a new currency for work, um, and, and I'll explain that. Competencies, um, and, and by the way, I've developed competency frameworks at a couple of very large companies in, in the past, and so so I've been through this work. It takes you know six months of understanding what competencies are and applying those to different roles in your organizations and 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 that sort of thing. Now the the problem with competencies is that they're they're too big and they're too wieldy, um, meaning that they they change over time. But now you have to go back through and change the way the competencies look and change the you know change the way the roles now look over time. And so they're just not. It's not a very agile approach to looking at work. Competencies tend to be a little bit more soft skills focused, and don't always include kind of the hard skills or the technical mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. If you focus on skills altogether, that can mean things like communication skills. It could mean um, things like negotiation skills. It could also mean skills like Python or um, an agile framework. Um, so those are the kinds of things that people are starting to focus in on. And the reason for that is is no longer are people staying in a job for 20 years on an assembly line. Not only that, people in the finance sector are not looking at the spreadsheets that they did even five years ago. Their jobs are changing. And so the the skills that they have today are going to be different even two or three years from now. Now, if you take a job role that, let's say, a, a business analyst that... You know, they're in the finance industry. If if those roles change over the next two or three years, what are you going to do with those business analysts? Well, they've got all these skills that can apply to other roles. In fact, all you need to do is start to to train them or, or help them learn these other skills today. And maybe in two to three years, they're going to be a data scientist on your IT team or in, in another part of finance. So that's why I think skills is so important today to focus on is if I can take the five to 10 skills a role really, really needs. And that doesn't mean the core skills you may need for your organization, but I'm talking about specific roles. If that role changes over the next two or three years, it's easy to swap out skills and say, well, here, maybe this skill took the place of this one, or maybe we need to move you into a different area because your skills now apply to, to a different role. If companies start focusing on on skills within, within their organization, you're going to be able to look at roles in your organization, the skills you need, look at the skills you have and map those people to either current roles that you need filled or roles that you're going to have to fill two or three years down the road and start uh, start uh, training on for those kinds of roles in the future. I think that would bring a, a level of transparency to um, the roles, in, especially in corporate education and corporate learning and development, that we've never seen. 
mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think we're just even to go back to sort of the marketplace comment that I made earlier. Um, I think we're increasingly seeing the need for that when we see job. De- it, it's interesting. Like we're seeing job descriptions that are sort of both generalists and getting a little more precise about this skill set. So me as a job seeker, somebody who's looking at my career trajectory, or at least the next couple of years in this company, like I can see the roadmap a little more easily, right? And and maybe I can even articulate like, okay, I learned the skill in this space for this role, and it's also applicable over here in this role, so I can move maybe more um, nimbly within roles within my company. So I just, I think it kind of reduces some of the ambiguity for job holders, job seekers, and career planners as well. Agreed. And, and people come to learning and development for that information, even though we know that it's really more of a talent management org development area. Mm-hmm. They come to us, they come to trainers. Tell me what, you know, what should be my next job? Like, what do I need to work on? We don't know. But if if we were to move in this direction, like you're talking about, Darren, we could actually guide them in a little bit more concrete way. So I like it. I'm glad you're obsessed with it. It definitely came over in your enthusiasm for it. Um, <laughs> I felt like the skills were standing in the corner saying, why are you so obsessed with me? Like, it was great. <laughs> no one put skills in a corner. That's right. Nobody puts skills in the corner. So, but tell me about skills leap. So this is, this is something different. Yeah. So Aaron and I, we've been talking over the last five or six years and we said, Hey, Learner Palooza is great. It's kind of, you know, it's this conference thing. And throughout the year we were doing meetups. Uh, Aaron designed a, a really great uh, four session meetup where we did some design thinking. We brought in some design thinking experts. And, and uh, so we, we were teaching the learning and development community about uh, the skill of design thinking. And so, you know, throughout the, throughout these years, we said, well, you know, we, we, we've offered coaching at, at at Learnapalooza, we've we've done these meetups and stuff, and you know, skills are where it's focused. Maybe we should kind of rebrand ourselves, and so that's what we did. We said, you know what, this year, you know, as we do the conference, we're going to rebrand our website to Skillsleep, and then that way it opens up the community, I think, even a little bit more. Is is you know, when you when you talk about the kind of OD and the HR and 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 talent uh, and, and organizational development type of work, um, skills is all part of that, right? So, so we wanted to open it up a little bit more. We wanted to invite community in to uh, help us with some of the blogs that we're going to be doing, and then also some of the um, community-driven events. And we just didn't feel like we could do that through the Learner Palooza kind of conference brand. Uh, we wanted to kind of house that under the skill, Skills Leap umbrella now. So that's kind of that's that's why we did it. And we wouldn't be innovators ourselves if we weren't constantly looking at ways to do that, right? So yep. it's an umbrella uh, organization and, and you know, one-stop shop landing page in the form of the website, but also just the, the demand is going to be for more than one kind of event. And so as we're getting our own ideas about, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could bring this to the community or this segment of the community, or we have um, enough talent in our known associates that we want to bring like really intensive, high quality workshops to enterprises for, for their intact teams or, or, or companies, then we can do that all a little more uh, effectively under the broader umbrella of Skillsleep. So Learnapalooza is yeah. an event. We're trying to be epic. Well, you guys are epic for sure. Keep, if you ask Betty in mind, as you grow out your catalog of stuff, we could always do an advice column. I'm just saying, exactly. just I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, what's next? Learnapalooza 2021? Uh, now, I don't know this myself, 
but I'm assuming it's very similar to birthing a baby in that you go through the nine months of, of like the, hey, this is uncomfortable, but we're planning for this thing. And, and you get to the day of and it's really painful. And, uh, uh, and you're like, going, wow, this is, you know, this is kind of painful. And then, then everything gets done. And you're like, going, oh, my God, that was so awesome. So awesome. Let's go for child number two. Right. But that's that idea of child number two doesn't come for, you know, a couple of months afterwards. Right. Or, or even six months afterwards ago. Oh, I'm finally getting sleep again. Stuff like that. Um, for me, the closest I've ever gotten is a couple of kidney stones. Lernapalooza is a lot of fun to talk about, to ideate on and to say, you know, what could we do different this year? And and that sort of thing for 2021, we, I, I don't know. We are um, just coming down off this high. Also, you know, sleeping more and, and that sort of thing. And 2021 will be an interesting year for us. Will we do it virtual? Will we do it in person? Are there other people that want to partner with us? I, I think it's yet to be determined, but whatever happens with with either Learn Up, Lose, or Skills Leap in 2021, the focus will always be on doing it differently than than other people have done it. And I liken it to a Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> you know, all that prep, and then you eat the meal in like 20 minutes. So <laughs> yes, I think that's a fair uh, assessment. I asked it like tongue in cheek because I mean, how could you know? Of course, people out there are like, oh, I missed it this year. I hope they do it again next year. And you'll always hear that, but you guys got to figure out what's the right thing. Um, how can you keep doing it and making it amazing? Just like it was this year. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. We enjoyed having you on so many aspects of the journey and we literally couldn't have done it without you and our amazing team of volunteers and facilitators and people who just went the extra mile and you're definitely one of them. So thank you for that. I was happy to help. So what is your advice to someone or some group that are thinking about starting their own online conference? Ugh, look at the marketplace. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, like just how Darren said earlier that we've got to steal from the marketing playbook. I think we also need to be savvy business people to some extent. And everybody's in the same boat right now. And so there's going to be some really well-funded, you know, well-sponsored, well-advertised events out there. So how to differentiate yourself in the marketplace, I think, should be a long, hard look and conversation for anybody who wants to go into this space. That being said, you can also be super scrappy and turn something around really quickly and easily, even on a low budget and with some of the, the tools and platforms out there. The virtual event offerings and platforms themselves are a little ripe for disruption. My next company, and I know Betty, you and I have talked about this, and maybe this will be part of what we do at Skills Leap, is virtual event platforms that are specifically dedicated to learning, both for learning professionals and for the wider audience of learners, um, Mm -hmm. could use some TLC right now. So I'd like to see see either better tech, tech and offerings in that space or help create them and really stick the how do you actually impart learning, knowledge, skills, etc. in a virtual quote-unquote conference space. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what comes comes in the next few months. And, and I think anybody who wants to go into this space should be doing a lot of environmental awareness. Platforms are definitely evolving. And, and again, this, this goes back to I think most people thought it would be maybe – 
you know, five or six years that we would see full-blown online conferences. You know, we, we see some of it today, but, you know, it's it's really just, you know, really long Zoom meetings, right? That you can, mm-hmm. hey, come online for four hours, you know, and we're, you're in the same Zoom Zoom meeting room or something like that. Um, so I do think that the platforms themselves um, have a ways to go. I, I think there's two things. I think, you know, Aaron pointed out the marketing side, right? And also, you know, the target market, you know, so is this, is this something you want to do? Look at the market, you know, who else is converting to, and by the way, I hate it when I say this word, because this is not what we did is, is when they convert it to a online virtual conference, what I'm seeing a lot of is that they're just taking what they were planning on doing, uh, in person and posting online. So again, that goes back to kind of the talking heads. It goes back to, you know, um, you know, the traditional way of, of, of trying to do things. And that just doesn't translate online. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, for people, once they say, hey, this, you know, I think I'm going to be able to launch this and it's going to be a, you know, a good thing in my industry, really look at the technology and the requirements that you have. For us, it was literally sitting down and saying, okay, what's the right platform for us? And we had to, so we had to choose a virtual platform, a registration platform. We had to choose two different um, platforms for concurrent meetings just because of the um, the flexibility we needed during the day. We had to look at um, how are we going to do support during the day. So there's a lot of those technical elements that come into this. But, but it compounds the complexity because we wanted so much interactivity and we wanted people to not get lost in the technology though either. So we wanted people to be able to chat with each other, to do videos with each other, extend that to those in, in, in the facilitator sessions and that sort of thing. So there's a lot on the back end that you have to be aware of. I don't think that we, you know, we weren't perfect at it. Um, we, we learned a lot ourselves. Um, I also think we educated uh, the platform people that we worked with on how you should put that together for virtual events. And so I agree with Aaron. I think the virtual event space is, is going to blow up over the next couple of years and evolve really quickly. I think that you can either pay a whole lot for some of those really, really expensive ones, or you can be scrappy as Aaron put it uh, like we are and say, okay, how do we put this together in a way that, that works for our audience in as seamless of a way as possible? I love that you guys are scrappy. That was That's part of the, the draw, I think, for a lot of folks is that you, you're you scrappy, you make it happen, you are the people that are in the trenches doing the work all the time, and you're giving back to the community through this Palooza thing. So I'm so I'm so grateful. I'm so excited. I'm so happy I got to be a part of it. It was really cool. As we are wrapping up, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all of my guests. How do you align your passion with your work? I think that's pretty easy for me because I do it through people and connecting with people, which is kind of my superpower. So it comes easily and it just, it, it lights my fire. That was, uh, that was amazing and quick and easy. I like that. For me, I, I like to look in the future and, and because I love the idea of technology being able to help human beings, being able to connect and bridge that gap between technology and people from a learning context, that to me is what drives me. So mm-hmm. the work that I do at Degree, the work that I've done in the past for Microsoft and Amazon and the other companies I've worked at, they've all had those elements where I get to utilize technology 
and, and bring learning to people that may not have access to it uh, or or that they, they're looking at a different way of learning. So I, I love that idea of being able to um, use chatbots or use your Alexa or use text-based training. Those kinds of things I think are just fascinating. When I'm working for companies that, that also feel that way, work seems to be more fun, more fun than it does work sometimes. And so that's, that's, that's how I, I always align my passion with the work and the company I'm working with. Next question. What is the message that you want to get out to our listeners? What do you want them to remember? And this can be topic related or not. I think for me, it's an extension of what we've been talking about around community. And maybe it's even two messages. One, I'm really hoping that the disruption of the current pandemic and everything that it's entailed will force a reckoning where we rewrite the social contract, not just at work, not just as employees and employers, but really as human beings who are all trying to get around this world together. And I hope that learning can be in integral to some of that rewriting of the contract, but really just, you know, come back to your why. Why? Because because we're all human. We are all fundamentally interconnected as human beings. And life is hard enough without having to deal with rude people or totally unrealistic expectations, like some of the stuff that I'm already hearing from employers who are just, they're done with the latitude. And, you know, we're only six months into this. So what if we all just really, really get back to just being good human beings and showing up for each other as good human beings in whatever way we're capable, given how crazy everything is. And, Mm -hmm. and I guess two would be to impart to anybody listening to this podcast that you can do this too, like start small, you know, Mm -hmm. like You can be scrappy too if you've got a dream or you've got like something that you think the world needs to hear or be exposed to, and hopefully it's coming from a place of generosity, not ego, then by golly, put it out there and shout it from the rooftops and connect with people like Betty or myself and Darren. I'm always happy to use my network and want to lift others up. Great message. Great overachieving message because you gave us two, but that's cool. We need as a community to, and this is just broader, right? This is just, you know, people in general. We need we need to care for each other, especially right now. And I think we can, I think it can be a better world when we do that. I always think of the book, The World is Flat by Thomas Friedman. He wrote this book 12 years ago now. It, it was really about culturally and organizationally that people have to come together for the world to succeed, not not just for India to succeed or America to succeed or your organization to succeed. The world is flat means that we are hyper-connected through social networks, through the internet, through Zoom meetings and, and, and that sort of thing. So how do we utilize that for the greater good? You know, how do we take capitalism that we do, you know, in, in a lot of these free countries and how do we do it with a conscience, right? So how do we think about capitalism and look at it where we can better the world? And so I think, you know, to Aaron's point is as a community, we need to help with that. We saw a range of people and we always see this every year we had we had a millennial come on i think he's 21 michael from arist who who was eloquent in talking about how to educate people and how people want to be educated and and how he's progressing the work 
in, in, in learning. So we see that. I've seen people that have never spoken at conferences before, never thought that they, they would be able to do it, and they come and speak at, at, um, at Learnapalooza. And by the way, behind the scenes, Aaron and I will talk about this and say, wow, this person's so great. We've had conversations with them. Why aren't they speaking? Well, they're a little shy. They're, you know, they don't think that they've got enough background. We're like going, screw that. You need to, as Aaron said, we need to get that out there. So for me, I, I agree with that is, is, you know, I believe that, that, that we can change people's lives, but we can only do that if we're putting ourselves out there, being vulnerable, being open to those conversations. So just belief in humanity. One final call to action, if we may, which is we've got a little bit of a platform. What can we do to amplify the voices and the skills and the offerings of our Black, Indigenous, people of color, not not traditionally well-represented uh, colleagues in the L&D space. Please reach out to us. On that note, how can people connect with you if they want to after the show? Well, we're both on LinkedIn. So Darren Nerland, if you go to the skillsleap.com website, you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, and then you can also email us at uh, info at skillsleep.com. And we're also on Twitter at skillsleap. And I have the last name of Peter Schick. So chances are you will find me. <laughs> I think there's a good chance that we'll find you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Darren Nerland and Aaron Peter Schick for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out. <laughs>